You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everyone, Matt here from Doctors of Running, where we normally three but now we have one an amazing phd in exercise physiology an amazing professor over from texas um it's going to be the two of us today talking about some of the stuff that we put on our feet the science and art behind that and again i am super excited to welcome dustin who is a phenomenal phd and researcher um to the podcast so dustin welcome hey thanks matt happy to be here yeah so we're gonna jump right into it so tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what what motivated some of the interests in footwear and where you're kind of going with that? Yeah, sure. So I uh, am an associate professor at Stephen F. Austin State University, way out in deep East Texas in Nacogdoches, the, the oldest town in Texas is our claim to fame. Um, so uh, I, uh, I did my PhD in exercise physiology at Texas A&M, um, but I've been, I've been a runner, a lifelong runner. Um, ran in college, was a, a mediocre runner in college and perpetually injured, could, could have probably used your advice back then. Um, and then, you know, over the over the last few years, I've gotten gotten a little more serious with my running again and um, have obviously been keeping track of the sort of updates in the running shoe market with the racing shoes and um, decided to start kind of pursuing some research in that area. Well, sweet. I think you and I had the exact same college experience where it was like heavily injured. I went the PT route to try to figure out how to fix those um, and then went down an even deeper rabbit hole. Um, and so, yeah, the, the footwear stuff definitely gets interesting. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of what motivated you to start looking at this from a research perspective. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, personally, I, I got my first pair of carbon plated shoes a couple of years ago um, or maybe, yeah. A little over a year ago, I guess. Um, I picked up the Hoka uh, Carbon X, and it was it was more affordable. I hadn't tried any of the the Nike shoes yet, um, but obviously I'd seen the Kipchoge stuff and the the Sub Two, and um, seen how the kind of running shoe market was changing. So um, I picked up a pair of those. I I did a whole I trained for my first marathon in those, raced my first marathon in those, um, and. Before I bought my second pair, I was like, well, maybe I need to test these in the lab to see if they're actually, because, you know, by then the, the vapor fly papers that were out on showing improved running economy, um, uh, but no, no one had really tested anything else. So I was like, well, I'll at least test this on myself. Got on the metabolic cart in the lab, um, tested at a few different speeds and, and saw, at least for me, that Hokushu wasn't giving me any benefit. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to buy another pair of these. Um you know, that some at different points in time, the shoes have been hard to get. So I, I was able to get the alpha flies at that time. And um, before taking them out on the road, I decided to test them on the treadmill to see if, you know, maybe I was just non-responder. I was thinking, you know, um, but no, definitely responder responded a good 4% plus in the, the alpha fly in terms of performance uh, or running economy improvements. And um, so I said, okay, well, maybe there's just some differences in these shoes, right? And I hadn't run in enough of the shoes to really, like I've known that yet. Um, and so, so we decided to sort of try to get as many of the shoes as possible in hand and try to do a larger scale comparison to see what things were looking like. 
So it sounds like there was some some a little influence from seeing some of the original studies. One of the big limitations is, is was really only on the Nike Vaporfly. They weren't they were comparing it to the Audios Boost and the Nike Streak, but no, none of the other competitors had come out um, at that time. Were there any limitations outside of that in those studies that you saw that you went, hey, I'm going to try to do this better, or here's my curiosity outside of the obvious one, which is, which is just comparing all these different models? Yeah, I think that's the big thing. When we looked at the previous lit, everything was on the Vaporfly line. Um, and and I don't, it wasn't even necessarily like big limitations in the previous studies of just that that was what was available. That was the first step being established. Right. And then all these other brands have come to market with their own carbon plated racer. And there's kind of been this assumption that we were forced to operate under that maybe everything's equal now, right? Um, but, you know, there's enough anecdotal evidence to maybe cause some people to question that. And so that was that right. was the real goal. It was just like, you know, no one had compared any other uh, competitive right. competitor shoe to that Vaporfly line. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a couple of questions about how, your methodology, but we'll also link your article um, in the description for this, both on for those of you listening on and then those of you watching on YouTube, you'll see that that link there. But can you tell us a little bit about the subjects that you were able to get and why you were focusing on that group? Yeah, so we, we chose to test at 16 kilometers per hour. That's kind of the most commonly tested speed for running economy in the lit and is consistent across the, the previous Vaporfly um, studies that are out there. Um, so to do that, though, to test running economy, you need to make sure people are below their threshold. Um, and so... You need to kind of to test at 16 kilometers per hour, six minute mile pace. You need people who can probably run a 5K, like sub 1730 was our kind of initial criteria. And there's some other safety checks that you kind of make sure yeah. that they're operating at a low enough intensity during the testing because we're we're wanting to make sure that they're staying in like all the metabolism is coming from the aerobic component because we're measuring oxygen consumption to determine the energy expenditure. Um, so, so that was kind of the level of runner. We did, we, some of the other studies have actually tested at faster speeds at 18 kilometers per hour, mm -hmm. but then you need even faster people and being where we're at in East Texas, it was hard enough to find, you know, for a limited budget for the eight shoes we were able to get, um, and only three sizes. So like size 10 to 11, um, you've got, you're limited in shoe size, speed of the runner. Um, and we did this in the summertime, so we didn't even really have a lot of the college, the local college cross country kids were right. even hardly here. So, um, I think that our average subject traveled like 180 miles round trip for each of their lab visits. So we had some dedicated subjects. Wow. So for those of you not in the research world, when you take a look at how many subjects you have, you have to be realistic and recognize a lot of people will come from very far away and getting people to match the criteria that you need can be a nightmare and that's something that i'm working on at the moment so total respect to you on that it can be really hard to control there's a lot of variables that you have to control so and you had some very interesting results i think i was i ex personally expected the vaporfly and alpha would be up there but i was surprised to see one other one was there any other shoes that you were expecting to be up there that weren't and i'll let you kind of tell uh, just a brief thing about the results yeah so i i guess you know, we were able to get seven carbon plated shoes and then we had one control shoe that was kind of like non carbon plated, um, regular old flat. And I didn't, you know, other than my experience testing the Hoka on myself, I knew we were going to have some shoes that were, that were pretty, you know, low responsive, like not, not a lot of people were going to respond to that shoe, um, or wouldn't be very effective at improving economy, but I didn't, I didn't really have much of a hypothesis beyond that when I, I got the shoes in at like the same time we started the study so you know other than kind of like squeezing on the foam and stepping into them yeah um 
I, I figured we'd have some that matched up. I figured some we, we didn't, but you know, I would, I would have been just excited to write up my results if everybody had leveled up to Nike, right? Like I, right. that I didn't have right. a, a lot to, to expect going in. Um, so yeah, we, we tested, um, the Vaporfly kind of being the consistent shoe that's been shown to be effective. Um, the Alpha Fly was performed similarly in terms of running economy improvements. Um, which you would kind of expect, right? Given the similar right. similar technology in those shoes, um, same foam and stuff. Um, but nobody had studied the Alpha Fly, so that was that was at least confirmed that. And then the other shoe that leveled up was um, the A6 Metaspeed Sky, performed similarly from a statistical comparison standpoint. So, um, it, now moving away from the research a little bit, have you have you run in the Metaspeed Sky? Yeah, so I've I've tested all the shoes yeah. myself actually. That's right. So I've got I've got yeah. my my own data on myself. Um, right. And uh, I, I yeah I like this the Metaspeed Sky. I'm a, I'm a big Alpha Fly responder, so like my biggest percent running economy improvements are in the Alpha Fly. Um, but right. but Metaspeed Sky is like second or third for me, right along with the uh, that's the Fly. So. Um, yeah, I should I should definitely know that having gone through your Instagram and gotten to see all this stuff, which is like you're totally getting excited to see some even even if it's one subject, just getting to see some data from somebody who's a PhD and is going to know the methodology behind those exciting. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what, what models are out there. So I'm, people can go look at more of the results on that. And it was surprising to me that a lot of the other shoes like there was next to no improvement. I mean, like there was there was some, but really like. Those three, the, the Vaporfly, Alphafly, and the Metaspeed Sky, even the Metaspeed Sky, you know, there's there's some distance between there. Although, you know, statistically, that's another conversation. But those are really the only ones that are up up there for all these ones that have been through it. Sometimes a couple models, not always. So, what we generally talk about here is, you know, one of the big things from the literature is seeing that the foam seem to play an important role. The plate is kind of questionable as to what exactly is doing, whether it's actually improving running economy or stabilizing the foam, the maximalist stack height. So I'm curious to know, do you think there's something that's standing out in this footwear or is it just the combination that seem, that Nike seems to have and some other ASICs may have just gotten close to getting right? Do you think there's one determining factor or do you think it's really the combination? Or and there's, is there some other stuff that may be going on yeah so the the one other thing i'd say on the shoes we tested um there was sort of a middle tier right shoes that did give some benefit and improvement um but didn't quite right. raise up to the level of the the vaporfly line and so that we saw that with the endorphin pro and as well as the um the rc elite we had the first version of the rc elite um right so so there was there was some some sort of like shoes that helped improve, but hadn't quite leveled up to the Nike, at least in the, the group we looked at. Right. But, and, and I, I guess that's important in line with your question. I think we probably are looking towards like the foam having the biggest impact, right. On like the energy storage and energy return that's helping improve economy um, and decreasing the energy cost of running in, in these shoes. And, you know, all the shoes in the lineup other than our control shoe have a carbon plate in them. Um, Right. Most of them have increased the stack height, um, but the big biggest thing that's different among them would be the foams, and um, and that's it's tough to kind of pinpoint exactly what's in some of these right. foams, or you know, like the right. base material, like uh, whether it's coming from EVA or TPU or PIBA. We know that a lot of the times, but kind of there's differences what happens from that original polymer to like what turns into the foam in the shoe, like you know. I think what stood out for me is like the, you know, 
Zoom X foam and the Nike shoes is PIBA based. And that obviously feels a whole lot different than the PIBA based endorphin pro foam. Right. Um, right. So, I, you know, that's, that goes into the manufacturing process and the, uh, the physics of it and all. And I, I you know, we're kind of left in the dark a lot of times on what's going on there. Yeah. Like again, so even, even those, I'm fortunate that I get to talk to some of the developers on this stuff and they won't share that. And there's a whole other process besides foam plate. And even the geometry of the shoe is another factor. The whole process of the foam and even the plate itself that they, they don't tell us that is proprietary. They own that and they will not share that with anybody because that's like trade secret. So I think that's the important thing for listeners to understand is we're, you know, we can speculate on this, but we're still missing a huge part that we'll probably never get to look at and we'll have to kind of make assumptions about. And that's, that can be a little bit challenging, especially from a research perspective and trying to get through some of the marketing that, because these are, this is a product at the end of the day and you got to sell this stuff. But those of us that are, you know, whether we're clinicians or scientists trying to figure out what the heck is going on, it does leave us in the dark. Do you think there should be like more openness with that? Or is that just kind of the way, you know, that's probably, how it goes. Probably wishful you know? thinking, right? But yeah. I think, yeah. I think there are some, some angles we could kind of approach things with, right? So if you look at the properties of the foam that are known to improve economy, if you look at the original Vaporfly paper that was done by the, the CU Boulder group, um, they actually, that, that, that project was partnered with Nike. And so they actually had, I think like from Nike's testing lab, shoe testing lab, where they actually like measured some properties of the foam in terms of how, how compliant or compressible it is, which is important for how much energy it stores. And then also, um, how resilient or how much it springs back, um, which is important for how much energy it returns. And that was the the big thing with the, the zoom X foam and that Vaporfly prototype paper that we saw, um, so, so if there's someone who's got like a soft materials engineering lab, that's got that equipment, yep. um, then they could be testing all these shoes independently and giving us info. Um, I've actually, I've reached out to, uh, an engineering lab at a nearby university, but the, the equipment is slightly different they, you know, like it's not outfitted for shoe testing. So you need a shoe last that actually can like compress the whole entirety of the midsole. And, um, so, so exploring some options there, but yeah, if you had somebody independently, testing in a similar fashion to that you would think we could learn more about those midsole foams um maybe without having to do all the, the human testing but um, right but so, yeah, you there's, know there's I, I many think different after testing everything after testing everything and having run and everything you kind of get a sense of that right like this one right. feels really soft but it doesn't seem like it gives anything back to me right or this one maybe right. like feels a little bouncy, but it doesn't compress at all. Right. Like, and so you right. compare that to kind of what we know about zoom X foam and maybe can, can start to start to like, at least subjectively get a little bit better sense, but. Right. And so you, you have some of the stuff that you've tested on both yourself and the subjects you were able to get. So we, we know, can you talk a little bit? Cause most people don't probably don't understand when we do research like this, understanding who these results are applicable to and what information you can take away from that. So do you think these results are applicable to everyone or is there anything else that, that people should be aware of in regards to choosing these shoes? What may be best for them or maybe, you know, not even choosing one of these. Yeah. So I think in terms of like the expected benefits and sort of the generalizability of your findings, you look at who your subjects were and what you did to them. Right. And so we had, Sub 1735 K runners. We were testing them at six minute mile pace. Um, 
they were males only in this study. So, um, and they were, you know, in the 135 pound, 165 pound weight range. So you start to get kind of narrowed down, right? We know from the previous Vaporfly papers, um, there's one, one study that looked at women as well at, and pretty much from 14 kilometers per, per hour up to 18 kilometers per hour, we see similar findings across the lit in that Vaporfly line. So, you know, you're talking seven minute mile pace and faster things have been studied. So I think, you know, in those pace ranges, um, in that demographic, you'd probably expect to see similar improvements. Um, I think that, that being said, uh, I would like to shout out your funding page to get a bunch of these models for women, as I know you're trying to prep for a female only study, which would be awesome because yes, we, there's, there's some literature on that, but men and women can have very different biomechanics. So yeah. And physiological responses from what I understand. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So shout out to check that. that out. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, in terms of, you know, extending these findings, like what's the next step? Um, we are looking, I think this applies to both men and women is what happens at slower speed. Should people, I kind of like asking like practical questions that like that the average runner would want to know, or like, where should I be spending my money kind of things. Right. Um, and so we've done kind of the, the wide, more widespread shoe comparison. And now I think a lot a question a lot of people have is, is if I'm not a sub seven minute pace marathon runner, right? I'm not running sub three marathons, then are these shoes beneficial to me? And we haven't, we haven't seen any testing at those, those slower paces um, um, in the same kind of controlled way. So that's what, that's what we're looking at now. We're looking at um, at the paces that would correspond to like a three and a half hour marathon up to like a 415 marathon um, what benefits the shoes have. So we're focused on the Vaporfly has been studied the most and it's kind of the most consistently responsive like shoe for people. So we're focused on that one for the, the slower speed study. And yeah, that's, that's what we're crowdfunding for is to get, I, I have the previous, the, from the previous study, the shoes are still good. They don't have a whole lot of miles on them, um, in the men's sizes that we had. And, and so we're, we're crowdfunding to get women's sizes so we can include men and women. And yeah, I think, you know, um, Body weight's a factor, but as the saying goes, and like comparing men and women in research, women aren't just uh, aren't just small men. Um, so yeah, there's some biomechanical differences, probably right. Um, so if we see differences in cadence and vertical oscillation, um, independent of you know body mass differences, that might drive some different changes. But like I said, in in the the previous research, looking at uh, 14 kilometers per hour and faster, women and men responded pretty similarly. So, um, but we'll see when we look we look at slower speeds. Right. I really want to emphasize that men, you know, there might be some similarities, but men and women, at least, so I, I can't speak to the physiological standpoint as much because that's not my area of, of research, but from the biomechanical standpoint, men and women are very different. They have very differently shaped skeletons, very differently shaped pelvis and very differently shaped feet. So one of the problems we had in the running industry for a long time was companies would do what's called shrink it and pink it, where they take a men's last in shape and just put pink colors on it. And that was the women's one, which does not work. And finally, some companies are actually starting to make women specific lasts, i.e. shapes of the shoes. So from that regard, men and women can be very different. But from physiologically, I don't know as much of the lit on on that. So you're saying based on the previous stuff, a lot of them have still been found to be fairly similar, at least at those quote unquote faster speeds. But when we start looking at more the average population, that might be different. Yeah, well, I think Maybe. at those faster yeah. speeds, the percent improvement in economy between men and women was similar. Yeah. Um, I think Got one, it. one kind of working hypothesis would be like at slower speeds or when like you're applying less force into the foam, maybe you get less of the potential like energy storing and energy returning benefit from it. And so mm -hmm. 
the speed is a factor in that, you know, slower you go, the less force you have going into the foam, but also then body mass differences, mechanical differences in terms of like cadence and like I said, vertical oscillation. So, so yeah, we'll see what, what sort of, if there's any interactions that play out there, but. Yeah. Very interested. Have you, and you with what your study, you also looked at perceived comfort. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Um, we did our preference. We did ask them at the conclusion of the study before giving them, before giving them any feedback on their economy mm-hmm. data. We gave them a little exit survey where they sort of ranked which shoes they would prefer to race in, and we also had them um, rate each shoe on, I believe it was um, softness and cushioning, stiffness and rigidity, and um, energy return. And so the idea there was to, to try to get at some of the subjective metrics that maybe would correlate to the economy improvements, um, you know, because there's so much, there's so much subjective opinions out there on these shoes and um, we don't really know how that leads to an actual performance outcome though. Right. And so that was, that was kind of the goal with that. Um, I don't know if we saw anything that's like very promising or any like really strong trends that would say we can ditch running economy testing. Um, I think, um, people tended to, so if, if I just asked them, like, which shoe would you race a 5k in? Um, and we asked them also, which fit, which shoe would you pick if you're racing a marathon? Um, people tended to ba- make better shoe decisions, um, when they were thinking about marathons, not 5k's. So meaning they, they picked the shoe that was, that was more economical for them when they thought about things in a marathon racing mindset than in a 5k mindset. And I think, I think there's this, this tendency to just like say, oh, this shoe was really light. So surely if I was racing a 5k, I would, I would use it though. Or like it felt lighter. Right. Whereas like the alpha fly, the alpha fly felt like bulky and big. And even though that might've been their most economical shoe, they wouldn't like consider it for a 5k, even though it probably would be the best shoe because it had the, the best economy benefits. Right. So, um, so we saw that a little bit. Um, and then some of the, but, but mo- for the most part though, like the, the group average, um, rankings for shoes kind of correlated, but like people weren't great individually at picking their best shoe. Um, I think, I think only a couple people in the study, like picked the shoe that was best for them at, in that subjective ranking. That's, that's interesting. We've seen similar data, not where the data is even worse, actually, for people being able to identify their own movement. So like people being able to identify where their foot is landing is like, it's horrible. Like people cannot tell even experienced runners have really are almost totally off when trying to predict their own foot strike. So based on, on, on that, and those, some of those initial results, which it might be a little early, what do you think on people trying to self-select shoes for the best performance? And performance is, well, I should say best economy, I should say, technically. Right, right. Um, I, I mean, from our data, I don't think people were great at it. Um, I don't think they had, I, you know, maybe, maybe you give people like the objective feedback, like, you know, all of our participants now have seen their like case study results um, and they kind of know maybe, okay, this is what I'm feeling in this shoe. That's giving me that energy return. Right. So, you know, Maybe after that, they're better at it. But yeah, on the front end, before any objective feedback, people really weren't that great at it. Um, I think, you know, we talked so talk about key- some of those properties of the midsole foam, like what you're looking for, right? Something that compresses, but also gives back. Um, but without comparing a lot of stuff, that's hard to do. I, you know, that's, that's the other challenge with these shoes. You can't just walk into like a specialty run shop and compare all 10 shoes side by side, right? Like, um, these things are hardly stocked anywhere. You got to go online and you're not going to buy 10 at a time and make a decision. Right. 
so, you know, that was one of the reasons that our subjects had to come come from long, far away for, for a study, but it was their chance to just basically come in and try healthy shoes, right? Um, so we had really reliable subjects. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So based on what you've seen, what words of wisdom would you give people in terms of if they're coming to you asking, hey, how do we make a shoe decision, especially if I'm looking at economy? So let's let's not talk about 5K. Let's talk about since most people are generally going to be having these these long-term goals of running a half marathon or full marathon, what would be your words of advice for them for selecting shoes? Or do you have any? Or is it do we really need more information? Well, so I think in like the current environment with the new shoes that are coming to the market, I think one is has the has this shoe been like validated as like effective at improving economy in a, in a research and study. Right. So we've got a few shoes that have done that now. Right. Um, two, if they, if they haven't, then it really kind of depends on your level, like what level of athlete you are. I think we, we make the suggestion in the, in the paper that, you know, if you're an elite athlete and you don't know if like this shoe has been tested and this shoe's not established, like you should be doing running economy testing in a lab, you know? Um, I mean, it, you need a metabolic heart, which is an expensive piece of equipment, but a lot of university labs and an exercise physiology program department are going to have a metabolic heart that probably for a fairly like small fee when you're considering like implications for elite athletes um, could, could do some testing. Most of this testing you can do in like, if you're comparing three or four shoes, you can do most of this testing in a single day. Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, athletes with access to something like that, that, that would be a big part of my decision-making, making process. And I've, I've talked to, I've talked to, since this study, since, since we posted the preprint of our paper, talked to a pro runner and triathlete about some of this, like kind of consulting, no one's near Nacogdoches to come in to test in our lab, but, um, but how they might go about doing that. And, and they've actually seen that, um. Uh, Outside Magazine did a story on Mandy Elmore when she signed her Saucony contract, yep. right? She went in and tested Saucony against the Vaporfly. And for her, they were they were performed similarly, right? And so that's, you know, um, she, she was really economical to begin with, I think. And so she might be on the lower end of responsiveness. But when they compared her to the, the Nike shoe, it didn't seem like she was losing anything. And so she made that decision. That would, And so that's that's really like the wisest thing, right, is if you can do individualized economy testing. But for the, uh, the average age grouper out there, probably not so feasible, right? Um, hey, you, you know, it, we can still test people. We, we do, we do um, people gone to the labs for like, you know, you pay hundred bucks for a VO2 max test. It, it's basically the same time commitment for us. And we're using the same equipment for, for some maximal VO2 measurements. So, so people who are already willing to do something like that, it, it might actually not be that impractical, but um, yeah, otherwise I think you got to look at like what shoes have been studied, which ones have been established and um you're, you're kind of guessing otherwise right now, I think. So I know what you're talking about. I'm curious to know if, if our audience says, when you say responsiveness in terms of individuals responding to these shoes, what, what do you mean? Can you give a little bit more background on that? Yeah. So, you know, 
we showed here that those top three shoes like statistically were better than the others. And that means that just about for everybody in the study, um, those were the top shoes. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to make those like conclusions. Right. Um, but within that, within those top shoes, you see a range of responses, right? So like the average for the alpha fly in our study was 3%, but we have some people who are like close to 5% responders and others who are maybe barely 2% responders. And so some people are getting more benefit um, than others. And so, um, we think some of that varies based on, you know, how economical, economical you are to begin with. Um, it, it makes sense that people who are, have poor running economy, maybe can get more benefit from the shoe. Um, we think maybe there's some mechanical differences. Yeah, no, that, that goes for me too. I'm, I'm, I'm very uneconomical in my, my middle-aged dad years here. So I need all the help the shoes can give me. Uh, I was laughing when you said that. I think on social media, someone I was thinking the same thing. Where I think both of us have mechanics where people go, "How are they moving forward?" <laughs> Somehow we do. So yeah, that makes yeah. There's there's not there's not a lot but, yeah. of elasticity left in in my lower <laughs> legs and feet. Um, and I'm and you know I'm like a four and a half percent responder in the Alpha Fly. So, <laughs> but you know we think maybe there's some mechanical differences, but really no one's. Everyone's been trying to get, do these shoes work? And now can we compare these different shoes? And no one's really like designed a study to say like, okay, these are a bunch of people who are lower responders versus high responders. And what are the differences in them? You need, you need sort of larger samples to look at those different groups of people. Um, so I think more of that will come out as we, we get more data on these shoes, but um, yeah, it's harder, harder to say exactly for now. Yeah, the fine, it's hard enough to find sample, a sample size, let alone do like a large one with responders and non-responders. So that hopefully, like I said, as we get more people interested in this and then hopefully people are more willing. And, you know, there's some other things going on right now in terms of the, the world right now in terms of how willing people, certain people might be to come out and go in a public place. So hopefully that'll start to calm down here. So we've gone through a lot of the science -y stuff. I'd love to geek out with you a little bit more right now in terms of like your personal opinions on some of the stuff. So we, I was... Super excited that we got to send you the Deep 8 Nitro Elite. You've gotten to test the Audios Pro 2. Kind of, can you talk us through some like personal favorites and things you have liked and disliked about some of these shoes? Yeah, so Just things that have stuck out for you and yeah. So I, you know, we've been talking about our actual like formal research study where we have multiple subjects yeah. and it's powered by statistics. And um, but I'm also a big believer in self experimentation, and so that's kind of the idea behind my my Instagram account was to share some of our larger scale research, but also, um, sort of my lab rat testing. So, um, so I've, I've done a lot of case study testing on myself just cause Hey, I've got the equipment. <laughs> I want to know what shoe I should spend my money on and what shoe I should race in. Right. Um, and yeah, so, you know, like I said, I've tested all, all of the shoes that were in our study. I'm a big responder to the alpha fly. So now I kind of, any, anything I test as a case study, I always test myself compared to our standard control shoe, the Alpha Fly, and then whatever is new. Um, and so, yeah, you guys, you guys um, were awesome and sent me that the Deviate uh, Nitro Elite, which everybody was interested in after after uh, Molly is in her her medal in the Olympics, right, the marathon. Um, so that one, you know, I like that shoe. It, so when I put a shoe on now, I kind of like feel out how springy the foam feels. Like that's like the first thing I cue in on. Um, and I, I thought that foam felt pretty good. It's just like, it's a petite shoe. Um, you know, I, it doesn't have nearly like the stack and the amount of foam that um, is underfoot and in, in the uh, Alpha Fly definitely. And even in the, the Vaporfly. Yeah. 
Um, so that was, that was my sense. I like wanted more foam. Um, I think I, in my case study testing, I think I was, uh, my, my typical like 4% or so in the alpha fly and around two and a half percent, um, in, in that shoe, which is, you know, definitely a meaningful improvement. Um, and, and maybe in some smaller, lighter weight individuals or, you know, individuals, with different mechanics, that shoe might be better for them. Right. Yeah. It's, it is interesting that the, um, for those listening on the podcast, I'm holding up the original Deviate Nitro Elite. The stack height isn't nearly as high. I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but you know, especially compared to the Alpha Fly, right? There's there that shoe has a ton of foam underneath it. Um, I'd be super curious, by the way, off topic for you to tr if you can get your hands on the um, the Adidas Adi Zero Prime X. I just managed to get my hands on a pair of those thanks to uh, somebody on eBay. Um, at a discounted rate because they're so expensive, but that shoe is like terrifying where I'm like afraid to run in it. But like in terms of like stack height and foam, there's so, there's so many factors and this, the, the deviate nitro elite feels great. It's just, it's, I think it's probably one of the more comfortable ones for me, which is interesting. And we've talked about comfort and there's not, I wouldn't necessarily associate that with, with performance and economy, but they did a good job. The foam is comfortable. what do you think about the audios pro too? Yeah. So, um, oh, I had a thought before that. What was it? Yeah, go for it. Go for um, it. No, I think I lost it though. <laughs> it, it, it'll come, it, it'll come to me. It was, um, comf was it comfort and performance? Was that maybe something, that so maybe something with the case study stuff. Um, yeah, well, so, so yeah, I, I, I got, I did get the Audios Pro 2. So that was like the, the obviously, like if you look at our paper, the notable omission was we didn't have the Audios Pro 2. And it wasn't like, hey, these dummies don't even know that Adidas has like the other, you know, third of the market share um, or all of these fast elites running in this year. We just weren't able to get it. So like when we, between like spring break of last year, when I got the grant approved and got the money and you're trying to get like as many of these shoes as possible in a two week time period, um, it was, it was a tough, tough task. Um, and so the, the ones were sold out in the audios pro and then the twos that like were about to come out, but weren't out. And so, um, so that was the one shoe we weren't able to get, but, um, yeah, so I got that recently tested myself. I, I didn't do well on that shoe. Um, and you know, like I said, when I kind of put my foot in a shoe now and feel how springy the foam feels that that foam feels a lot different than, than zoom X. And so. Obviously there's a lot of people running really fast in that shoe, right? Like elites and it's, it's tough, right? Because you've got, you know, some of the fastest athletes in the world are in contract with either Adidas or Nike. Right. So naturally that anecdote's going to drive that direction. Right. But, um, yeah, it would, it would have been awesome if we had that in the lineup to see kind of like what tier it fell in. It's hard to, it's hard to think that it like, wouldn't be a top tier shoe just because of how mm -hmm. fast people run in it. But, um, you know, my my personal testing data tracks really well with like the group average data in our study um and for me that that shoe didn't do great on me but that's not to say that it's is not helping other people so um but that that i definitely think that foam felt a lot different but it, it's a very different foam and it, it felt very different david and i tested the original and i was not the brightest and bought it super early like probably a pre-production version and the foam in the first one feels way different and I've gotten a chance to try another production version that felt even more different. So like hmm. the Lightstrike Pro is going to feel, a lot of these I feel like are going to 
may vary depending on the production model that you get. I'm wondering, that's, there's some other that's stuff That's interesting on. because if you just, yeah. if you look at what the pro, I, I always say, like, you can't blindly trust the anecdote, but we should like, kind right. of like follow what the anecdote is showing us. And the, a lot of the pros are running in the ones, aren't they? Um, yeah, they are, which is to me, based on my experience with this, the original, I like it, but not for racing all out. It's kind of more like that lightweight trainer ish, but I think what I have right here is totally different than the other production models. Cause this was an early hmm. stock X grab that I'm like, my wallet is still hurting from. Um, so I'm not doing, this was great. I will never do that again, but yeah. So I think there's some variation in the foams cause yeah, a lot of people are still running in the original. And so yeah. again, different responders, different mechanics, different stuff like that. And people are still running races. It's interesting to now finally see on the world stage, it's not just Nike Vaporfly or Alphafly anymore in the top three. It's you're getting more of that like Nike Adidas with the occasional other brand in there, which is what it used to be before the Vaporfly came out. So I feel like things yeah. aren't necessarily leveling out, but like there's it's slowly equalizing, at least in terms of performances. And there's a lot of other factors going into why people are performing at a super high level right now. Yeah, yeah, I don't, and I'm not, you know, this line of research is on shoes, but obviously there's a lot more that right. goes into performance than just shoes alone. So, um, right. The thought that I was having, I had earlier, you asked yeah. about the Prime X, and so that yeah. kind of goes hand in hand with the the Audios Pro Two, which is I I more I think just more of the same foam, right? And so. Um, yeah. I had some people, I, I've got people who have requested like what shoe I test next on my case study testing. And uh, that one's on the list, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to try to get a hold of that shoe just in the sense that I didn't, I didn't do well in the Audios Pro 2. So I wouldn't expect, mm -hmm. um, oh, so this was my thought is that if you have good foam, you can add more of it probably without much of a penalty or maybe even more benefit, right? Mm -hmm. If you have bad foam, um, and this isn't specifically to, to the Adidas shoe, um, but if, if your foam is not great, adding more of it is probably going to occur at a, at a cost, right? Like, so typically we right. always just thought, oh, a heavier shoe is less economical, right? But we don't live in like that world anymore with this fancy foam that can like actually give you more benefit, right? So that's like the Alpha Fly is heavier than the Vapor Fly, but a lot of people are better, are more economical in it despite the shoe being heavier, right? So there's different properties in the shoe that are now actually like that extra weight is not coming at a cost is actually coming out of benefit, but I wouldn't expect that to be the case with like foams that don't work as well. Right. Adding more of something right. that doesn't work well for you might not be beneficial in that case. Right. Um, the, there's also the factor that like, especially, I know if you're, you're a recreational runner, this might not be as important for anybody that's like competing. You can't compete in the prime X. Right. So it's like technically per IAF, like that stack height is illegal. So kind of what's, Outside of a marketing tool, what's the point of buying that? Especially I, that one guy who ran, I forget, was it the Amsterdam Marathon? Who got won and got disqualified, which I cannot imagine a more horrible thing. Like, hey, I won this thing, right? I'm going to get some money. I have a good payday. And then like, oh, just kidding, because of the shoes you wore that your company that your company has like yeah oh, yeah when i think that was an adidas like sponsored race though so that that whole thing seems peculiar to me whether or not that was like a <laughs> publicity thing or... <laughs> hey uh, i mean you know marketing is marketing <laughs> i'm not judging it I'm, i've learned a ton about that talking with people now but like you know we you know you and i geek out about like the, the physiology the mechanics behind this stuff but like i said earlier at the end of the day there it's a product right you're trying to make it's a business you're trying to sell this stuff so I can't judge fully. I just, I think along with you, I'd like to have more 
evidence instead of just marketing, but going, what really is the best? And I think the idea of having personalized VOT or like economy testing is really cool. I think it's a huge thing that I think people should well, yeah, you know, start asking. It, yeah, that's a good point because I think it, it hasn't been like that foreign for endurance athletes to seek out laboratory-based VO2 max testing or lactate threshold testing, right? Um, and, you know, the other big performance predictor is economy. Um, and so, especially in light of the potential benefits of these new shoes, I, I definitely think any, any athletes who are willing to like spend the money on, on those other physiological testings, um, it would make sense to, to work in some of the economy testing. So I also, speaking of economy positives or negatives, I was super impressed that you did economy testing wearing Crocs. <laughs> I have to give you, I have to give you massive kudos. I've seen plenty of people running those. I cannot imagine running in them. Was was that comfortable? <laughs> or it wasn't? It wasn't too bad, but my economy was okay. was terrible in them. Uh, it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, a good training tool. Yeah. for for training, not for racing. Yeah. So when I put out the poll of which shoe I should test next, I think it got a little hijacked by uh, <laughs> some funny guys there. So uh, so we, it, but it was also a lot easier to um, to convince my wife to let me buy a pair of Crocs as opposed to the Audios Pro 2s. So, so we tested those first. Um, and yeah, uh, now that running that pace and then I, I, I've been testing everything for my case study stuff at like 6.15 pace. Yeah. Um, that wasn't, wasn't too terrible, but the fit of that thing is just like, just floats around on your foot a little much. I think, I think the trick is thicker socks. You need thicker socks. Got it. <laughs> That makes sense. It's like blister city. Yeah. But I'm just impressed. I've seen people run like fairly quick half marathons yeah. and marathons in those. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, there's some, I mean, some guy, that data now. Some guy out in Utah, I think. Uh, it's like a sub-15 5K in Crocs, like a 106 half marathon in him. So he's a <laughs> he's a beast. That's impressive. You might He might want to consider a Vaporfly now yeah. at this point. But, you know, it may be, maybe he's just not a responder. He's a responder like Crocs. Who knows? Yeah, well, or he's at least not 8% worse like I was. In a, not, um... So how, how do you convince – so going through all this, and I'm, I'm assuming the answer is this is for science, but how do you convince your wife uh, about these shoe pur purchases? I'm sure there's a lot of people who have that same question. <laughs> or for some people, it might be their husbands, right? How right, do you convince sure, your, sure, your sure. spouse, right? Yeah. Well, so the only shoe I've actually, I think, I, I've had the Alphaflies that I've raced in since like way back when right. I originally tested. But the only shoe I've bought for like the Lab Rat stuff so far is the Audios Pro 2. Um, so I'm, I'm working to not actually like just spend my own money on every possible shoe. Um, we'll see where the case study testing goes. That's been fun for now, but um, we'll kind of see where that goes with the, the Lab Rat account. But um, for the, for the, the, actual my job research-based testing we've, we've got been able to get a, a small like internal grant for the first study um we've still got those shoes in stock so a lot of the shoes i have from the the previous research that um that you know until these things have probably 40 50 plus miles on them i think they're probably fine but all of them right now have like less than 20 miles on them so so we're able to use nice. them um again uh, but yeah Got it. Yeah. So actually, I think that's, wanna, that's one of the, the, the best part of our, our studies findings, I think, is like yeah. convincing your spouse on what shoe you should spend your money on. Right. It's like, hey. <laughs> I should definitely buy this one because based on my evidence, this is the only one I need to buy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I don't get to if I have to test this out and I have to buy all these things to be way more expensive. But now I know I just need this one. Well, I think of it right. as like, you know, this shoe is fifty dollars cheaper but I'm 4% better in it. Like, okay. 
I mean, this just makes sense, right? Uh, right. Plus, you know, I, I did I did triathlon for several years while I was in graduate school, so our sport is cheap compared to that. So, <laughs> yeah. Anytime I, you know, I, before I was fortunate to have this this website. We got shoes sent to us. I'd complain about running costs, and I had friends of mine that are triathletes, and I'm like, your bike costs more than my car. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, and I have three of them. <laughs> yeah. So I sold my bike, so I can buy, I can buy shoes now. Oh gosh, that's, that's impressive. That, that is truly, yeah, going, going both for personal running stuff, but also for science as well. So that's, that's impressive. I'm curious to know where, um, so if companies are listening to this, do you have any words of advice for them? So if people, the footwear developers who are now reading this stuff and making thoughts, what would your words of wisdom be to them? Oh man, <laughs> I think that's above my pay grade. Um, I, uh, if the, if there was no pressure, right? Man, I think it's so. This on, is this is a whole conversation that, that really is like you know the business end of things that I'm not right. I'm not an expert to speak on. I think it's tough. Like it's, I feel for the smaller companies. Like how are you going to keep up with the R and D of Nike? You know, right? Um, but yet you still feel the pressure to like put out a carbon plated racing shoe. Um, and I think it's tough for like elite athletes who are like, well, I want a contract. Um, I want to be supported, but I'd also don't want to like sign a contract with a shoe company that maybe is hindering my performance. You know, I just think it's a tough environment. Like, um, I, uh, I know, I know these companies, I, I think the curious thing of me as like a consumer and scientist would be like, surely these companies have internal testing. Um, and I know, I know from, from talking to a, a, a pro runner who's, who had a contract with another company, um, that they have, they have data. Um, and you know, I think, I think most of these companies, if they wanted that data out there, it'd be out there. Um, so, so that's kind of, I don't know, that's tough. There's a lot of, <laughs> like you talked about earlier, like a lot of big part of the business is the marketing end. And, um, right. I, I think that's a whole other podcast episode where you need, you need somebody other than just me or me around to have that conversation. It's what we've been having that conversation for a while. Again, none of us are business people, right? We're all, all science-based clinicians. And so it's a whole, it's a whole different environment about, you know, we, we get asked that all the time, both from people reading our website. And that's actually a question that's jumped up when we've talked to different companies of what words of advice we have. And we're like, well, you know, it's going to depend heavily on the resource you have. Like, I mean, that's the challenge is Nike. Did you see the, the new uh, science center they just opened? It's like how many billions of dollars? And I was drilling over like the number of force plates they have, which I think was like 80 or 80 something. And I was like, it's hard enough just to get one or two, like just let alone like 80 and having that many, like, it's just going to be hard with resources. Yeah. And so, yeah. A, and I, you know, I, one of the things we called for in our paper is like, if, if, um, companies want us to believe that their shoes offering some benefit, right. Then they should support like independent laboratory testing. And so there's mm -hmm. means to do that, whether it be donating shoes or, um, you know, you get some conflict of interest as like a researcher, if you're right. getting supported by a company. Um, but I think, you know, donating shoes for testing purposes is, is, um, probably okay. Um, that's pretty mild. And I, and, yeah. and, 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 and consulting at least with, um, somebody who's got running economy experience or, or metabolic cart. Like I said, I think a lot of the, the companies do have access to that in house um, or at least some lab that they could contract with. Um, and yeah, if you've, if you've got a product that works and put that data out there, right? Right. It's, it'd be nice to share. Cause a, a lot of companies do have this data. They, you know, as you said, they do have their own, a lot of times exercise physiologists on staff 
there's a couple, you know, shout out to a couple of biomechanists and PTs that are on staffs and various companies, but it, I know this stuff is proprietary. I know it's a business. It would just be nice to be able to see some of it or at least support um, independent labs to be able to say, hey, this is what's going. But I can see why if they already knew that maybe their product wasn't quite matching up, that they may not release, you know, yeah. that stuff. It's hard, right? Yeah, it's very that's difficult. Tough. And yeah. so that's where that's the, that's the, the where you start, you know, science versus business is really hard. And this, then you get into other issues of, you know, risk of bias and stuff like that, which, you know, you and I in the literature, we see that every day where people, you know, I forget what I was reading. I, I forget what I was reading, but it was some study on, I don't remember if it was vibration or what was it, but the lead author on their own company related to the product they were testing at the very bottom, it said no conflict of interest. And you're like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you're the owner of a company that the product you're testing and these there's a large, so that's, that's where this gets complicated. And so that's why, you know, what makes it challenging for independent labs to get this stuff and put data out there is, yeah, this, this stuff is expensive. I can't believe that shoes cost 200 plus dollars. Now I still remember back in the day when I was working in running stores where I got a pair of Adidas Tukumi Sen, which that was an expensive shoe. That was 160 bucks back in the day it was, and you could, it was hard to get that in the United States. And I got it through one of our Adidas uh, reps who ordered it through Japan and it was still $160 and that blew my mind. And now <laughs> you've got shoes that cost almost double that. And you're like, people are just throwing money at us. Like, yeah. Again, no complaint. I know the triathlon world, there's other sports that are way more expensive. But yeah. It's just, but it is hard. Like yeah, if you think about labs, that are yeah. going to do this testing. Yep. Um, you know, the, the grant money in our field is, is going towards things like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and rightfully right. so. Right. Um, and while endurance nerds and runner nerds like us are interested in this stuff, it's not like there's just grant money laying around to go buy up 10 grand worth of shoes to, to do this kind of testing. Nope. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, so being in my PhD right now, like my initial stuff was on footwear, but I got torn apart because they're asking me like, Hey, what's the, the larger benefit to society? And I'm like, uh, and like, why are you asking me that? Like, there's some great info. And they're like, well, just cause it's going to depend on your grant funding. And I'm like, Oh, so it's like, that makes this additionally hard for those of us that are shoe geeks and want to know this stuff, right? It's, it's challenging, but it's awesome. You're getting grants for that. That's great. That probably speaks to your experience in being an awesome PhD and be able to write some good oh. uh, grant papers. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't go, I'm I wouldn't go that far. That. The, we, the, for the, our, our original study on the large shoe comparison, <laughs> I was lucky to get some <laughs> internal funding and, um, and we're able to stretch that money out as far as possible. I've got a, nice. a buddy I ran against in college. He's, um, he operates Fleet Feet Austin. And, um, nice. and he was able to, to hook me up with some good discounts. Um, he, he made, he made our money go a long way. So, uh, nice. in terms of what we were able to purchase. So that, that was really helpful. That's awesome. Shout out to the local running companies for helping support research on that. Yeah, that's for awesome. sure. Cause again, those things, yes, you know, small running companies. When I think, yeah, that's, I think that's what, it, yeah. that's what it takes, right? Like if, if we're interested in this niche stuff, um, you're going to need like support from, from different angles like that to, to make these kind of things happen. Like my running friends are like, well, no one's compared this yet. And I'm like, no man, <laughs> nobody cares about Dude. this. Or nobody with money cares <laughs> about this. Yeah. That's the problem. It's like, everything goes toward like, you know, major cardiovascular diseases or in my interest in biomechanics, it's, you know, especially in PT, it's fall risk in older individuals or, you know, looking at mechanics associated with different large scale pathologies, whether it might be, you know, 
neurological diseases and stuff like that. So for those of us interested in more of the running, even getting into running is more niche and that's hard enough. And then you start adding running shoes. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, some of the, the obstacles that I am just beginning to learn as a PhD student. So you've, you've gone through this in ULIS, but it's like, yeah, being able to get research out and get good research out is hard. There's a lot of obstacles. So congrats on just on being able to get out and get something out and be able to put some data out there. Like I liked it. I thought it was great, but congratulations on that. So you're correct me for it. It's preprint. You've, it's been accepted, correct? So it's a pre or... preprint. It's under review currently. So under review hopefully currently, should, should hear back take... or should hear back yeah. soon from reviewers on that. But um, yeah, no, the preprint's <laughs> yeah. pre been out. That's uh... awesome. Well, good luck on that um, because Getting, by the way, getting feedback from some of these journals takes forever. Sometimes, like the first one we worked on, took like six to eight months just to get anything back. Yeah, that's it. It yeah. varies journal to journal, but um, yeah, definitely yeah. this the scientific review process can be a little slow sometimes. Um, yep. And so, but the posting the like the preprint stuff while something's under review has become more common over the last few years, and so as a nice yeah, way at least I've to like that. let the world see it who's interested and they can critique it right um so that's a good way to get feedback too i didn't think about that. it is yeah but actually actually good. got some, yeah. some pretty good feedback from some some big time biomechanists <laughs> on it so that's also something you wouldn't normally get just from the one journal that's awesome hmm. that's a good idea um plus you also have a great instagram which again i encourage everyone to go follow especially looking at some of the science you know we we're really big into getting people to understand the science behind this stuff. And Dustin has done a phenomenal job of putting out not only great data, but some great thought provoking um, questions and ideas about, you know, what are we putting on our feet? What really is giving us the big economy, biggest economy improvement? What, what does that mean? Right? So it's putting us great. So I encourage everyone to go listen to that, to, to subscribe and, uh, Check that out because it's got some great data and stuff. Well worth reading. Thanks. So, Dustin, any uh, any last comments you have or for people? Again, big stuff going. What shoe, shoe should they choose? Um, yeah, no, I think uh, yeah, no, I think, I think uh, for for fun follow up yeah. stuff and and I'll I'll be posting more stuff on our our study too. Um, but on on that lab rat rundown Instagram page. Um, like we we're talking about doing research like this is tough. You need people with like special interests that are willing to back it. So um, I, can, I can send you that link, but that link's also available on that my, my Instagram page too for, for crowdfunding our, our women's shoe, shoe line right now so that we can continue that with both male and female subjects. Um, but yeah, um, hopefully more interesting stuff to come. Sweet. So more interesting stuff on both ends. As always, please check Dustin out on it's Lab Rat. Lab, right? Lab Rat cool Rundown, yeah. Lab route rundown on Instagram. Um, there's going to be more great stuff coming. Obviously, check us out too. Doctors are running. We're always following Dustin. Try to repost and see what he's doing too. So yeah, really great content. It's Dustin is really great to have you. And thank you not only for being on here, but also for doing what you're doing and getting data out there because we just need more data. We need to see what's happening so people can make better and better informed decisions about what they're putting on their feet. And uh, yeah, because we understand that these are products and there's a lot of marketing, but we also want to help people make informed decisions because at the end of the day, you want to, you want to have fun with this. You want to stay healthy and make some good decisions about what, you know, and choose your part of that. So thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks, Matt. Enjoy the chat.